Good morning, little church. Great seeing all of you here. Always good to see all of you. So I think for most of you who have been attending, you know that we have been going through the parables, and we are going to continue that today. And in fact, today we're going to go through probably one of the most famous, well-known parables, um, not just within the Christian church, but outside of it. In fact, when you hear the word Good Samaritan, um, you will hear that I heard on the news the other day that someone was a Good Samaritan. It's a term that's, been, that's become part of our culture. In fact, it's even part of our legal system. There's actually a legal definition of a Good Samaritan in our judicial system. So it's a very popular, very popular parable, at least by the name itself. And what I'd like to do today is go through that Good Samaritan parable, but I'm going to do a little differently than I did for any of you who were here back in 2018. In July of 2018, I went through and did a sermon on this, and you can actually find it on the website. Because this parable really impacted me personally. And the reason why I did was in 1999... I went to Israel, to the Holy Land, and I got to hike the trail that this parable talks about, the trail from the road from, from Jerusalem to Jericho. It goes from three, it's about 3,000 feet climb. It goes down to Jericho, which is the smallest, what's smallest? It's the lowest city on the face of the earth. It's 840 feet below sea level. And it's a very, when you think of a road, it's a very treacherous um, trail. Um, people, even today, will fall off cliffs going down that trail. Um, so if you want to find out more about all that cultural stuff and see pictures and everything of it, you can go back and you can take a look at that sermon that I did in 2018. But I really felt like for this, to, for today, going through the Good Samaritan, there was an aspect of it that I touched on briefly in that sermon, but I feel is one of the most critical parts of this of this parable that really speaks to all of us personally as to who we are. What is our identity? And it really speaks to showing us there's something maybe about who we are that you don't know. And Jesus is going to reveal that in this parable. So we're going to take a look at that. What I'd like to do to start out with that is I would like to recite this entire parable. Now, this parable, we say parable, but it's actually a full passage. And it has three parts. It has the part where there's an exchange between Jesus and the expert of the law. Then a parable is told, and then Jesus continues that exchange. I want to go through and recite it. I'm going to tell you right now, I want you to just listen. I'm going to do something you don't hear in church very often. Don't look at your Bibles. <laughs> I want you to close your Bibles, close your phones. I just want you to hear it. Now, I am part of a group at our church called Bible Recap. How many people are part of Bible Recap? I know a lot of you. Yeah. And we will, you will hear more about this again. It's a group that is going through the entire Bible within a year, and we're still in the Old Testament. Um, and we will be until about October when we'll be moving into the New Testament. I think we'll tell you all um, who would like to get back involved in that as we go through the New Testament. But a couple weeks ago... Um, we were in discussions within our Bible recap. We meet every Wednesday on Zoom. And uh, Monica, actually, <laughs> I think is the one who brought it up, about, hey, let's memorize some verses. And I'm thinking, okay, so I'm going to do this parable in a couple weeks. Maybe I'll try to memorize this parable. I had memorized it years and years ago. 
haven't memorized it and tried to recite it and not recite it up here. So I'm going to give it a try. But I want you to listen, okay? I want you to more listen to the flow of this parable and this exchange that goes on between Jesus and the expert. So it begins with, On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is in the law and how do you read it? In reply, as an answer to that, the expert of the law said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus told the expert, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the expert wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and banished his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper and said, Look after him, him until I return. And when I do, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. After hearing that parable... Jesus then asked this to the expert of the law. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. That is a parable we're going to be looking at today. Now, the one thing I do want to tell you about is the context of that. One passage I'm just going to read because when Jesus tells this parable and where he tells this poor parable is critical because you've been hearing the word Samaritan. And there's a lot you can learn about the culture of who were the Samaritans versus the Jews. And I'm not going to go through all that right now. But I'm going to read a passage that sets up. This passage is a passage that says this is where Jesus was right before he has this exchange, where he says, tells a good Samaritan parable. And this is what it says. So this is in Luke 9, 51 through 56. This is now almost like the last week. This is when Jesus is now going from Galilee. He's at the end of his ministry. He's going to be traveling from Galilee, north Israel, down to Jerusalem where he will finally die on the cross for all of us. And this is what it says. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went into a Samaritan village 
to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you not want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went on to another village. That pretty much gives you the idea right there how the Jews, like the expert of the law in this parable, the priests, the Levites, the people who were Jews in Jerusalem, this is how they felt about the Samaritans. So what I want to do now is I want to start walking through this passage and take a look at it. All right, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up. And we're going to begin. um, It's in Luke 10, and it begins in verse 25. So I want to just start with the conversation that begins. Because it says, on one occasion... An expert of the law stood up to detest Jesus. Very quickly, the expert of the law, also in some versions, says lawyer. Basically, this was a person who was tasked to uphold the Mosaic law, to uphold the law that the Jews were following at the time. He was someone in authority. He was someone who can go around and say, Paul, you know, you need to do a little bit better on <laughs> this part of the law. All right? He had a lot of authority. And he knew his Bible, which was the Old Testament, probably by heart the entire thing, which is amazing to me because we're going through and still going through the Old Testament Bible recap. There's a lot there. And so that's who the expert of the law is. So it's not unusual for an expert to come up to someone who they're watching like Jesus and go, who is this man? And for them to say, for him to say, to test him and say, teacher, which is a a word of honor, And he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This was a common question that the Jews would ask one another. What is it we are to do? And Jesus properly sends them back to their Bible and and says, what is written in the law? And how do you read it? How do you interpret it, in other words? And the expert comes back and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbors yourself. Now, all of you have probably heard that before, haven't you? In fact, probably most of you think that's Jesus' great commandment, which it is. But Jesus wasn't the only one going around knowing this commandment. This is something that was common. The Jews would put these two together and say, this sort of sums up the law. And it says, Jesus says, well, you've answered it correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, what's interesting is that could have been the end. In fact, if that was the end, we probably would not have in our Bible today, all right? Because it's simple. You got the answer right, go do it. And then you end up having where the expert comes back and says, um, you know, and who and who is my neighbor? Now, who is my neighbor? So it's going back to that command, love your neighbor as yourself, Again, we've heard that over and over and over again. Loves our neighbor as ourselves. Now, one of the things we can tend to do is get wrong what it says about yourself. (laughs) All right? So a lot of times we think, love someone as myself. And so I've heard people talk about and wrestle with and say, well, you know, I just don't love myself very much, so I can't really love others. Or I don't have a very good self-image. Or I just... 
I'm still working on myself. And when I finally figured out myself, I'll go maybe and love another. So it becomes very me-focused. In the Hebrew, that is not what this means, all right? When, when this was, and this was back in Leviticus. This passage actually, is actually in Leviticus 19.18. Because this is from um, a commentary in Leviticus, which really captures what it means by as yourself. So it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself does not mean that we are to love other people as much as we love ourselves. Quite the contrary. The Hebrew means love your neighbor as a man like yourself. That is to say, your neighbor is a human being and a sinner just like you who is longing to be noticed, to be valued, to be brought into fellowship, in fact, to be loved all of which are the things you would like to have happen to you. So even when you're not feeling like it, you're to love them as you want someone to love you. Okay, the focus is really on loving them. Now, we still ask that question. There was a debate back then, we today, who is our neighbor? I mean, I look at all of you. Are all of you my neighbor? How do we determine who is our neighbor? And we still maybe don't use that phrase as frequently, but we still use that phrase about who is my neighbor and think about that. Um, in fact, it's one of the things that I do every summer is I use the summer to go and listen on audio, on Audible. My mom used to do this. Go and listen to fiction. I just choose a couple books of fiction and I start listening to fiction. I do that every summer. So I go through a couple different books. Well, this summer, I heard that the women in our church, the women's ministry, they have a book club. The men don't have a book club. The women have a book club. And so they're going through, <laughs> they're going, they're going through whatever books they decide to go through. And I heard that they were going to go through this novel that just came out called The, called the Authenticity Project. And so, so I thought, I can read that. <laughs> and I did. It was, a, it was actually a really good book. Um, I won't go through what the book's about, but it was a novel. It was a fiction characterization of people writing into a journal and um, everybody reading their journal and writing it. And it, it's, it's a pretty interesting story, but obviously fiction. However, in the opening pages of this novel, this is what it says. It says, how well do you know the people who live near you? How well do they know you? Do we even know the names of your neighbor? Would you realize if they were in trouble or hadn't left their house for days? I mean, that really captures what we think of when we think of a neighbor. All right. And so what's interesting here, though, is when Jesus, when the, when the expert asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? You notice that Jesus could have just given an answer. You know, Patty's my neighbor, all right? Roseanne's my neighbor. I mean, Steve's my neighbor, all right? I mean, who, how do we figure out who our neighbor are? The people who live next to us, the people we hang out with, who is that? But you'll notice what Jesus does is instead he tells a parable. And the reason why Jesus tells a parable is because parables are designed to reveal using our everyday lives to reveal something about God basically what's called an extended metaphor. So God, throughout the Bible, we're using things, the Lord is my rock, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, he's not literally a rock and a shepherd, but we know what that means, and those are metaphors. Well, our parable is just an extension of that. It's designed to really help us understand God, to help us to relate to God better. 
And very importantly, parables are designed to change us. Not just change our heart and our mind, but parables are designed to change the way we live. That's the purpose of them. Jesus doesn't want to just go, aha, that's cool. No, he wants us to say, that's going to change my life. And that's what parables are designed for. So we're going to now take a look at the parable that Jesus tells. So we're going to look at the first part of this parable. And it begins in verse 30. And let me just, let, let me just read through. So, it's, it's a, Jesus starts out the parable saying, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And then you have these two people who come along, and we find out what did they do as far as dealing with this person they can see at a distance that has been hurt. And so that's how Jesus sets up this whole parable. Now, I want us to look at this parable in a way to try to really get an idea of what is Jesus doing as he identifies these different, parables, these different players in this parable. Because he is saying something about their identity. I would say he's saying something about our identity as to who we think that we are. And he's telling us something about their identity that I think can help us to understand what this parable is getting at and how it can change our lives. So I'm going to walk through this, except to help us sort of visualize that, I'm going to use hula hoops. I am not going to try the hula hoop, okay? Um, because if I did, I would make a fool of myself. And this is on video. So I don't want to do that. <laughs> so we're going to look at this in terms of a hula hoop, but we're going to lay out these hula hoops in pieces to see if we see something by looking at the different colors and the identity that's being used here, how Jesus identifies people, to see what we can see about that. All right? So we're going to start, we're going to use pieces because these actually come apart. And I have different other pieces of different colors in the box here. So we're going to start out and, I, and give each person in this parable a color. And you're going to somewhat help me do that. Um, if you don't get the answer right, I'll just do it. <laughs> okay. So the first person I want to deal with is actually not the man who got robbed, but the robbers themselves. So what do we know about the robbers? They robbed him. They beat him. Okay. Um, we know that there's more than one. There's just not a singular robber. There's at least two or more robbers. And this was very frequent to happen, by the way, in this trail, because there was caves up there, and they were always worried about someone hiding out in the caves to come and rob them. So here's this robber. They're not nice people, right? And in fact, when I think about what color should I give to those robbers, I think about so many times in the, in the last several months we've been preaching and talking about light and darkness, all right? That we are to be ones in the light, not ones in the darkness. So I was thinking, the robbers, where are they? Are they in the light or the darkness? Dark, okay? So here they are, <laughs> okay? They're darkness, all right? What did the robbers do? They beat him. And then what do they do after they beat him? They what? They go away. All right? You don't see them anymore. 
All right, they're not around anymore. They just take off so no one catches them. All right, now I want you to think about the man. Because listen to how the man is described here. He is stripped of his clothes. He is beaten, which the word in Greek actually means blows to him. All right. And he's half dead, which means if he doesn't get help, he's going to probably die. But I want you to think about how, what's the identity of this person? I mean, we identify people even today by what they're wearing. All right. But back then, they especially did that. All right. I mean, the priests would have one outfit, the Levites another, common Jews another. So people would much be much more easily recognized back then. But he's been stripped of that. All that's been taken away. In fact, what's interesting is the word that is in Greek that Jesus uses for man here is actually the word athropos. And it really means it can mean any human being. It's just someone who is a person created by God, a human being. But notice you just cannot distinguish this person. You can't distinguish who this man is. So I'm going to give that man a gray color. Pretty much we have no idea of what his identity is, do we? No idea whatsoever. All right. So then we then come to the first person who then sees this man who's been beaten and robbed. This first person is a priest. All right, and someone, a priest who works at the temple up in Jerusalem, all right, his function is to do those things of a priest. And so I'm going to give him the color green. All right, so we have a priest that's green. He comes upon or sees at quite a distance, he sees the man that's been robbed. And what does he do? He passes by on the other side. All right, continues down, but he actually has to go all the way around. If you look at that video I did, he goes all the way around to the other side. Really make sure that he avoids the man at all costs, gets as far away from him as he can. Then we, the next person we have is a Levite. The Levite also is part of the religious establishment, part of someone also who works in the temple. So very, very similar to the priest. All right, and so, and if you think about the Levite, like the priest, does what? Goes to the other side. So I'm going to give the Levite also a green color. In fact, they're both going to the other side, so I'm going to say they're probably going to hook up with each other. Right? <laughs> they're going to hook up with each other because they both are of the same. They both part of the religious set. They probably even know each other. All right? And so we end up having a priest and a Levite both choosing not to help this man. Then, what ha- who do we approach next? The Samaritan. All right. So with the Samaritan, he comes up, and he actually, as you'll notice here, he doesn't avoid the man. He gets really close to him. In fact, so close, he sees what kind of condition he's in. And what does he do? He gets pity on him, compassion for him, because now he's so close, he sees, oh, I need to really help this man. And the rest of the parable tells us about how the Samaritan helps the man. All right, so I'm going to give the Samaritan this color. Give him purple, okay? And what does he do? The Samaritan helps 
the man in need. Okay? All right. So just stop me at this point because basically the rest of the parable tells about how the Samaritan helps the man in need. But I want to ask you, at this point, we're done with the, in essence, we get to the end of the parable. This is what we see as far as our different characters at this point. The robbers are long gone. And I want us to think for a moment, do we have the answer to the expert's question? Who is my neighbor at this point? He asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus just told a parable. Now, if I'm that expert, I can look and say, in fact, if I'm that expert, what color do you think I would give to that expert of the law? Green. Why? Because that expert of the law is also part of the religious establishment. All right? In fact, he would definitely know who a priest and Levite is. In fact, as he's hearing the parable, probably I'm sure Jesus, I would say, with permanent certainty, Jesus uses a priest and a Levite because they are all related, okay, in what they do as part of that religious establishment. But we still don't necessarily have what is going on because maybe this person, maybe it's a Samaritan that should have helped this person. This man, who we know nothing about, was not part of all this, all right? But this is where we run into our problems when it comes into trying to figure out who is our neighbor. Because what we do so many times is we decide who our neighbor is based on what I'd call a circle of identity. So we have the priest, the Levite, the expert. And what we end up doing is we end up finding other people that have similar... They believe in things similar that we do. They take positions socially, politically, religiously, very much like we do, and we hang out with that group. Social media, we hang out with that group at home. And so they look like this. And so when we, whether we consciously maybe you think about it or not, when we have a group like this and someone else comes along that we have no idea whether they fit in our group, what do we tend to do? And we do this really subtly, don't we? We avoid them, don't we? All right? And so even though that person might be in need, we would never even know it because we avoid who they are. What's sad about that? is that what does that mean about when we're in need and none of these other people can help us? So along comes another group that's got formed. And they look at us and they go, ah, nope, we're not part of that. We're not really part of that group. And so what ends up happening, they say, we're not going to help anybody over here. So pretty much what do we end up having? Just a lot of division. No one really, truly wanting to risk it becoming a neighbor to each other. This is what Jesus is addressing, all right, is we tend to make these circles of identity, I call them, and they are really good boundary markers, so we make sure we only help the people we want to help. That's really what the expert is doing, because what does the expert say? He says, 
don't, you know, he doesn't want, he says, in order to justify himself, he asks Jesus that question. He wants to make himself right. All right. And quite honestly, very possibly, Jesus might say something like, eh, you're wrong, Jesus. <laughs> I have a right instead. So what does Jesus say about this? Because that is what Jesus does next. Is he going, he's going to address this very problem. Because I want you to take a look now at the parables done, and now Jesus does it. It starts with the expert asking Jesus the question. He tells a parable. Jesus then says, I'm going to take <laughs> over this conversation because now I'm going to re- reveal something to you, which he tells at, the, at, at this parable. So if you take a look at... 1036 through 37, right. Okay. So after he tells this parable, Jesus says, which of these three, okay, we have one, and actually we had, so, well, we only had, yeah, we had the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Jesus says, which of these three, to the expert, helped the man in need? And the expert has to answer the question. (laughs) Very smart, Jesus. The expert has to answer that question and say, it was the Samaritan who helped the man in need. What does that mean? And Jesus then tells, if you notice, Jesus then goes and says, Okay, expert, you've got to go likewise. Go and do the same thing. So Jesus is now revealing that it was the priest and the Levite and the expert, all of them should have what? Helped the man in need. Jesus is using someone that the Jews despise the most to say that person who you think doesn't follow your God is actually following your God better than you are. Doesn't that all speak to us, sort of? How many times do we maybe not listen to someone who has something a little bit different, even religiously, than we do? And we tend to go, oh, well, you know, (laughs) um, I'm not going to listen to them. I'm not going to be their neighbor. And here Jesus says, maybe we can learn from even those that we think are not following God. And sometimes you actually find as you get to know them, they are. <laughs> and sometimes you find out they're doing in ways that maybe you can learn from. That's one thing that Jesus does here. But there's something even more critical that Jesus does in these statements right here. He tells us something about our own identity that we probably have never seen before. So I want you to, I want to first of all start, before we do that, um, in the men's group. In the men's group, we've been having some really good discussions as we've been going through the Gospel of John. And one of the discussions was like, you know, why are you here? <laughs> why are you even doing this Bible study? And one of the great scholars within our Tuesday night men's group is Dale Gear. Where are you, Dale? There's Dale back there, all right? And Dale said this when we were having this discussion, 
All right, and I want to quote it because I think it really starts to get at what Jesus is doing here in this parable and speaking to us. So what Dale said, okay, let me just read it. It says, we spend a lot of our lives asking the question, who are you? Or we might say it differently, what do you do? We're always trying to answer that question for other people about ourselves. Isn't that insightful? Because they are trying to evaluate us or to put us on a scale around this side or that side. And they move us back and forth on a scale to figure out who we are. Who am I, Dale said. Can I answer that for myself? So I've been writing trying to describe who I think I am. Usually we put that off on someone else. Who do you think I am? I'm finding it pretty difficult to answer that question. I tend to want to move to, what have I done? (laughs) So it's pretty hard to identify ourselves. Isn't that true? So often we identify ourselves by saying what we do, all right, rather than necessarily who I am. That is part of what is happening within this parable is in fact, if you take a look, there was this little pamphlet, little article here in 1965 that came out. And you can look at it. It looks like it's from 1965. And it's from a guy named, um, named Glanville Downey. And I think he takes what Dale said and applies it directly to our sermon, uh, to our parable that we're looking at. Because what he says is, and this is in regards to the Good Samaritan parable, he says, in the question, who is my neighbor is implicit the further question of who am I? When we ask, who is my neighbor, we're actually revealing something about who I am. In fact, you see that in the expert's question. When he says, who is my neighbor, he's really trying to say, tell me that that neighbor is this, so I don't have to deal with this, with these people. All right? And so... What Jesus does now in this passage, though, is he says something that's not obvious when we first look at it. So if you take a look, I have a comparison up here um, in the next slide. When we really look at what Jesus says here, which of these three was a neighbor to the man in need, it's easy to just pass over how Jesus answers, you know, says that question. Because I want you to look at this. This is some different versions of that passage to get more at what Jesus is really trying to ask us to. So the NIV says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The ESV gets a little closer and says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robbers? And there's a version that's very, very close to the Greek. It's actually designed for that. You probably have never heard of it. It's called the Lexham English Bible. It's used by um, people learning Greek and stuff more, where it really gets at what Jesus is saying here by the Greek word that's being used. It says, which of these three do you suppose suppose became a neighbor of the man who fell among the robbers? Which one became a neighbor? The word that's actually used there means to become, and it means the primary meaning of it is to be, that is to come into existence. So the Samaritan decides to help this man who he has no idea who he is, not because the Samaritan 
is purple. It is because the Samaritan knows something about his identity in Jesus, in Christ, that the others did not. He knows that the question is not, as I look out there, as I ask all of you, who are my neighbors? No. The question is not, who are my neighbors? The question is, will I be a neighbor to anybody who is in need? Anybody that is in need. What Jesus is saying to us is that our identity is based in him that we are now not someone who just needs to be helped or with all the different other things we look at with our identity that we talked about. But their core part of our identity is that we are neighbors who help others in need. The question is not, who is my neighbor? I'll figure out if I help you. I don't know if you guys see that switch. The switch is so key. Jesus says, now in Christ, we are neighbors. That's who we are. If someone comes up and asks you, who are you? You can say, I'm a neighbor. Do you need help? (laughs) Because that is the core identity of who we are now in Christ is it is no longer that we decide who we help and who we don't, who we relate to and who we don't, who is in our group or not. It is not about that anymore. It is now that we answer that question, I'm a neighbor. Why am I a neighbor? Why am I a neighbor? Because I'm going to turn and answer that question for you, and then we'll close off here. In Galatians, in Galatians uh and I'm going to turn, yeah, which one? Yeah, good. Galatians 3.28. So in Galatians 3.28, one you probably have heard a lot. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor is there a male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, this passage does get also messed up by people sometimes because it's not saying that you're not, that there's no longer male or female or no longer Jew or Greek or no longer master or slave. It's not even saying that. What it's saying is that those are not how you define who you are anymore. You no longer define yourself by this. You still are those things. You still are Jew or Gentile. All of us is a Jew or Gentile. We still define and say, yes, we are Jew, we are Gentile, but we never let those things decide how and who we help because ultimately I'm a neighbor. So to summarize that, this is Jesus. (laughs) He is the new circle of identity. He defines who we are. He defines who we are. This is the people who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, in here, you no longer get to do this. You no longer get to do this to decide how you're going to love others, decide how you're, who you're going to be a neighbor to or not. Because now, the only way you think about that and decide that is you are someone who is in Christ. And by being in Christ, you now have the identity that you can answer the question, I am a neighbor who helps anyone 
in need. And in fact, I'm just going to look at one last passage here that talks about that. Um, it says in Galatians, well, in Galatians, first of all, in Galatians 5.1, so in Galatians 5.1, notice that it says, it starts out by saying, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He has actually set us free. He set us free, among other things, from having to do this. He has set us free from sin. He set us free to be fully who we are. He has set us free to be who we are in him. All right. And what do we use that freedom for that he's given us? <laughs> Paul can't get more direct. He says in Galatians 5.13, You, my brothers and sisters, all of us, we are called to be free. But do not use that freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And now that one command really ends up becoming not just love your neighbor yourself, but now who are we ourselves? We are neighbors. So you can read that command now as love your neighbor as a neighbor. <laughs> All right. Who am I? I am now a neighbor. This is what Jesus is doing. When we place our faith in him, when we believe in him, when we follow him, when we're children of God, we've, we are given an identity different from what the world wants to do. And that identity is we are now in Christ and we no longer decide who we help, no matter whether they are in Christ, whether they're not. We help everyone who is in need. And I want to close with just two quick examples of that. Um, because in this parable, and um, you can listen to the one I did in the video, there's a lot of things that tells you how to be a neighbor. Jesus isn't just saying, be a neighbor. In this parable, he actually tells you how to do it. I want to give you two quick examples of that, and then we'll close. One is that I just heard last week, and this is from a dear friend of mine. Her name is Kim. She told me that I can say this here. Dear friend of mine, uh, she was actually the first person in my 30s I ever brought to Christ. And married, has um, boys now, are all grown up. But she told me this story. So you notice that Jesus, the Samaritan, what does he do? He gets close to the man, so he then develops the pity and the compassion of him, so he then helps the man. The first thing we have to do to be a neighbor is we got to get close. All right. And what ended up happening, many, many, many years ago, with her and her son, they were in a park. And her son was about four or five years old. And there was a guy over in the park, just sitting like probably against a tree or something, and just playing his guitar. And the little boy, her son, was listening to him play the guitar. And he was like, Mommy, Mommy, I want to go over and hear him play. And she was a little hesitant at first. But she was like, you know, okay. okay. He said, Mom, I want to go and hear him play. So got the little boy and her go up to, the, up to this uh, man playing the guitar. And, just, and the boy's just listening and listening. And, and when the man finishes playing, the boy says, I so much love your music. I so much love what you do on the guitar. And the man told Kim, my friend, he said, I want you to turn the radio on tonight to this station at a certain time. And Kim's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So she turns that on, listens to the man who is on the radio station, who describes what I just described to you. And he admitted on the radio 
that he was about ready to take his life. And that because this little boy, and because Kim let this little boy, came up to him and just listened to him, he is still alive today, living life. That's an example of what we can do. So many of us are in need to just get close to someone. The last part of the parable is something that Monica's ministry does. Because Monica um, talked about this today here. But one of the things that Jesus talks about at the very end of the parable is don't just help someone come back and continue to keep those relationships going over and over again. It's not just help, go away, I never see them again. It's continuing to do that. And this is what Monica said on one of our Bible recaps, and I want to just quote her. She said, God doesn't want sacrifices. God wants a relationship with us. When I go do mission work, it's very easy for me to tie in with traditional and a Christian because we're talking about relationships and love and connection, even though they have different beliefs. And once we get that connection, once we get that connection we just talked about, once we get that connection component of it, of connecting with another human being and understanding, walls come down, hurts are shared, and you can see God's healing in a lot of that. That's the ministry she's doing. That's the ministry all of us are doing, is not just to connect with a person, but to develop lifelong relationships with them. You all, I hope and pray, are going to leave here as Jesus did, including the dog, (laughs) (laughs) are going to leave here today knowing something maybe you didn't think about when you came in, that Jesus has told you through this parable. You have an identity. That identity is now to be a neighbor. Thank you guys very much. Go ahead and stand Go ahead and stand. So if you want to come down and talk, pray with anybody, feel free to do that. Food is out there. The most important thing is I'm going to give a very short benediction, which is a benediction that Jesus gave, which I don't know if you have about there, uh, Mark. Um, Jesus ends the parable, which is what I end to all of us, okay, which is to what? Go and do likewise. You want to say that again? Go and do likewise. In Jesus' name, amen to all of you. Have a great day.